Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the You Don't Look Like an Engineer podcast. In today's episode, we are having another one where we bring some of our fabulous guests who are amazing engineers. And today we have Australia's 2022 Young Engineer of the Year. Yes, she uses robotics and electrical engineering to improve people's lives. And through her work, she helps help people of all ages to see the altruistic applications of STEM. If we were going to get into all her accolades and everything, it would literally be a whole episode in and of itself. Yeah. She is so incredible. So without any further ado, we'll just jump straight into it. Yes, uh, Diana, please tell us who you are, what you do and why it's important to society. Oh my gosh, that's a that's a big question. That's many questions, but uh, in a way it makes it easier. I high level... I'm an engineer. I write code for robots. At the moment, robots for medical devices, but I've worked on all sorts of technology that helps society in different ways. And I jump between different applications like educational robotics or electronics for developing countries just to try my hand at all different approaches to help society in different ways with technology. That's, um... Wow. I, I guess that sort of like answers this Third question that I asked that, why is it so important to society? <laughs> it's what and why, yeah. To be honest, like my mission in that, like for, for being Young Engineer of the Year, for example, I think that that is important to society, not because of the work that I do as an engineer, but because of the work that I do to tell people that these sorts of careers are possible as an engineer. So I have always had kind of a side career in parallel of trying to tell people about the work that I do. And that's why I in part work on um, projects that I find particularly interesting and inspiring is because that's the work that I want to do, but also because I find that that is what inspires other people to reconsider engineering if they'd previously thought, oh, but I want to help people. Um, I speak to a lot of school students um, trying to change that mindset. Last year, I spoke to 1,500 school students just wow. saying like, these things are possible with engineering, which um, like I said, is like the side career to actually being an engineer. What event, if any, in your life um, actually inspired you to embark on this journey of what engineering, of spreading awareness, sorry, of what engineering can actually do? Um, I can trace a particular moment in my career or like in my studies where I nearly changed my degree actually I nearly bailed I didn't I didn't I didn't nearly wow. change out of engineering in general I got into electrical engineering because personally I really like maths um and electrical engineering has a lot of maths and I was very happy with what I was doing in my degree but as I got older I saw that medical engineering students had kind of cooler or more inspiring applications for what they were learning at uni. And so I was getting a bit like jealous of my friend who was doing medical engineering and nearly switched to medical engineering, even though I was very happy as an electrical engineer, technically speaking. And when I didn't do that, luckily, I ended up working on a project that was a brain-controlled car, um, sim simulated car experience, so like... You would get, you would physically get into a car that was in a room of projectors and it's used for safe road safety research. And I configured that to work with brain signals 
um, as, as like a, an engineering project. An engineering project as an electrical engineer that involved uh, all of the things that I enjoy about like electronics and, but it was for a cool application, which is why I chose it of like, oh, okay, road safety research, that's very interesting. But reading about like other uses of brain computer interfaces, one of the biggest like impacts for society is for people with paralysis who it's called locked in syndrome that like I can't imagine or like we can't we can't imagine what it's like to be able to think but not communicate that like and so this technology of brain computer interfaces can let people communicate again who have locked in syndrome by like interacting with a keyboard or or some sort of speech application on the computer that underneath is relying in part on the same brain computer interface that I was designing for the car simulator. So like the, so those similar concepts I realized in that moment is like, if I just do the things that I enjoy, technically speaking, they can then be applied to help people um, depending on the application. And I didn't, need to change to medical engineering to have the like impact on society I could stay as an electrical engineer and just choose how like more carefully I guess if you're if you're fussy about that more carefully how I applied my skill um what projects I worked on so another example or like maybe more more succinctly my friend doing medical engineering she was working on circuits that were heart rate monitors. Whereas in electrical engineering, my circuits were circuits and they had no reason tied to them. Um, and that's why I think that medical engineering can attract a lot of women to study that field. But then you, it's because it's tied so closely to applications that help people. And the electrical engineer can help as many people in those same projects. I've gone on to work with a lot of medical engineers, but you're doing it on from the electronics side with that yeah. like specialty in mind. But you end up working on the same projects. You can help people with any of your any of the engineering disciplines. It's just not as because, like you were saying, you don't need everyone of the same thing in a team. You need people from different backgrounds and disciplines. Yeah. Yeah. So since then, like I've have ended up working on medical devices with people who have specialized in biomedical engineering, but I'll, I chose to specialize in robotics and robotics for whatever reason, it's a harder sell um, because you just have to trust that later on you'll find like a cool reason um, or one that like speaks to you personally. Uh, but yeah, my role was to do the robotics and somebody needs to be specialized in that just like somebody needs to be specialized in cell biology and somebody needs to be specialized in like the interface between the two but all i needed to know was how to make the robot do the things that the surgeon needed so that we could um, treat patients i i love the example that you gave us before because uh, it got me thinking like what is a person without communication like what what is a person without the ability to connect to others like that's our I guess difference like as a human being from animals and from, from other species so it's incredible that you have 
been able to sort of like apply it in, in medicine and like helping to others. It's, it's impressive. And, and, that, and that's like, I see so much, so much technology, absolutely technology is used to save lives, but most of the devices that I've worked on are used to improve the quality of life of people. And so somebody with paralysis, like my technology hasn't directly helped that person, but for somebody who has created that communication uh, application and is genuinely used by people with paralysis, that is a quality of life game changer. And so the, the context that I was working in um, when I won Australian of a young engineer of the year, I was working with former Australian of the year, uh, burn surgeon, Professor Fiona Wood, who invented spray on skin. She came to the bioprinting company that I was working with uh, as a roboticist to, to improve spray on skin in order to save lives of people who have suffered from widespread burns from bushfires, for example, but also to improve the quality of life of people who survive because our goal with that device is that you don't recover from a burn with scar tissue like you do with current approaches, but you recover functional, healthy skin. And what that looks like in the impact of someone's life is that if you can sweat again, again you don't have to stay in an air-conditioned room for the rest of your life. Like you'll be able, if you're if your skin has the mobility now, you maybe can can hug your family that otherwise wouldn't be possible. And it's, we, we really admire doctors for the work that they do in saving lives and improving people's lives. And we forget that sometimes it's, it's the technology that makes these things possible. And more and more, this technology is created by you know, engineers like me. It really leaves you lost for words. Um, have you been able to see some of the patients firsthand, like receive some of the things you've developed, like the spray-on skin? Yeah, this is a this is an early enough device that it has. It's actually it's quite so. No is the answer uh, succinctly because it's it's early enough stage um, that it hasn't gone to trials, which. It's a, it's a pretty interesting field to work in. And this is why I love that, like, engineering of all types, but robotics, as, an, as my example, like, I can switch between these industries and learn about the, just the, the peculiarities of all of these different industries. So medical devices and getting clinical trials approved for something that can treat burns, for example. Well, I find it fascinating to learn that you can't, you can't sign people up ahead of time for a clinical trial of a burns device because you don't know when people are going to get, yeah. And so how do you achieve that? Uh, like, how do you get around that? And it turns out that you, okay, you, you work, you do your clinical trial on similar wounds that are pre-planned surgeries that you can like, yes, sign people up for. Um, so perhaps people who have, had skin cancers removed, that sort of treatment. And you, and you, you kind of, you test on um, a similar but easier problem, logistically speaking. And these things, like, because I'm curious about everything, I imagine that you can relate. And so for me to, like, I don't spend 
my day doing just robotics. I spend my day listening to the challenges of surgeons and medical devices and whoever else is around me and just being like, I don't know, soaking it all in. It's, um, I love that you can sense and hear the curiosity and yes. excitement you have. It's contagious. Well, and that's why I was like, why do I tell people about engineering? Or like, why am I an engineering ambassador? And it's because I enjoy my job so much. And I nearly switched from electrical engineering to medical engineering, um, which would have been kind of not the ideal sub-discipline of engineering for me. Uh, and that would be a shame. But I also could have never been an engineer at all and that would have been a huge shame because I love what I do and so the 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 the, I don't know like terror of like FOMO the FOMO that strikes my heart when I think of how close I came to not being an engineer is what motivates me to just go and tell everyone like did you know that I'm happy as an engineer and maybe you'd be happy as an engineer too maybe not um but you should consider it because I had never heard of engineering uh, when I finished high school and it's different now, but I'm lucky that I'm lucky that I like stumbled into it. Wow. This is so inspiring. I guess my curiosity, um, was there anything in your childhood that made you the person that you are today or was it like anything that caught your attention and, the STEM interest grew. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I've just always been a mega nerd. Like I really, I didn't know about engineering, but I loved maths. I've always loved, it's not a common thing, which is part of why like, I like, I loved my time at university because it was so normal to enjoy maths. Like when you're in a, I, I, did a maths degree um, as well as an engineering degree and you're so normal when you sit in a room of people doing a maths degree uh, in that like one dimension of life and I the older I get like the more I realize like that's not a common thing but when I was a child like you only know what you know uh, you only know kind of your interests you don't realize you don't have enough a big enough view of the world to realize if your interests are like unique or special um at some point you might catch on that they're like weird <laughs> but <laughs> like, I I feel like there's a there's a middle area of some of when you like kind of like something I think that's the like risky zone of like maybe you'll um society will convince you that it's not worth liking that thing whereas when you're so uh I don't know extremely interested in something there there was nothing that could stop me so like I <laughs> this this is this is like the, the weirdest anecdote of my uh I guess older childhood is that I was in year eight and I was 12 years old which is normal in Queensland and maybe I was like the youngest of the year because my birthday was at the end of the year but I was not challenged enough in like the maths classes that I was doing partly because I lived overseas before and I 
changed into a class that I changed schools in order to be in a class that was year eight, nine, and ten. My my parents changed schools for me, bless them. <laughs> and and I was doing year ten work, but I was still like supposed to be in year eight. Um, and at the end, I pushed the school that I would go into year eleven after that, and I kind of never was in year nine because I skipped from year eight to year 11 and I at 13 was doing like senior subjects with my friends who were also who were like the normal age so that to me was like you don't you don't fall into that situation if you if you're like if you sort of like that you I got into that situation because I was like no I need to learn like harder things I love maths I wanted to do like more difficult things or just like any of the subjects like the physics class I love the physics class um and I was in physics at 13 and I finished high school uh I turned 15 on the night of our school formal which is like you don't end up there by accident you end up there because you're like determined to learn and that is I'm looking back, I'm really grateful that I had extreme determination because a lot of the students that I speak to are like very capable and smart students, but it's, it's hard to, to actually like throw yourself into something when you're not sure. And it's hard to be sure when you're a teenager. Um, I'm very lucky that I wanted to be in an, eventually like I found out about engineering, I'm like, I will do this at, at all costs, but I was never trying to be like a, a trailblazer or like do something really unique. I was just trying to do the thing that I enjoyed. And it turned out that I chose something that is like not very common for people like me to, to go into, but I was so like committed by that point. Um, oh, I love that you brought up how you saw, um, you know, kids that also like doing it. And I'm not sure if it can be attributed to a difference in learning or difference in environment, but what do you think? Was it, do you actually think there's a difference in how we learn and can learn quickly or was being quick innate for you? I um I actually know I'm getting like a bit emotional thinking about the answer to that question because I think that so much of the behavior of people at that age depends on how they're encouraged and I'm very lucky that my family particularly my dad, who's very like technically minded, he was like, Deanna, you can do these things. There's no reason you can't do these things. You have potential to be, well, he, he tells a story that like, I'm not sure I've ever tried to like relay it, but he tells it all the time of like, what, at some point when I was young enough that I don't remember, um, he said, Deanna, you have the potential to be like one of the best like scientists or engineers. I don't think he used the word engineer because I never had it, but best scientists in, you know, I don't know, of this day and age. And and I said back to him, like, I know. <laughs> like, and like 
I don't remember that, but I, I wouldn't not believe it because when, when you have someone in your corner that is like, girl, you can do this. Like, there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to do it. Then you, that's the feeling that you have is like, I know. It's only when you go out into the, the rest of the world and it's like, wait, there are only three women in this class of like a hundred. You didn't mention that. And like, it's fine because I'm already in there with this, like, I know I can be here mindset, but, but if I were in a different family, I do wonder if I would have ended up with a career that I have just because I maybe didn't um, feel as confident to go. Cause it's, it's like, I look back at, my story was almost like so exceptional that it's like, oh, maybe that's why I never realized that I was doing like this weird thing or like going against the grain. Like I was just so determined, but, um, but oh, I forget what I was going to say, but just that like everything, there's, there's that, um, I don't know. No, I can't remember what I was going to say, but I think part of why I lost my train of thought is because I was also remembering that like, so my dad was there being like, you can do this fact, like forget what anyone else says. But also my mum, when I was younger, she she was seeing like, hey, there are, I don't know, she must have realised that there are, um, you know, my dad was kind of like, don't worry about who you are you can do it but maybe my mum was seeing more like the, the reality of the situation of like okay but girls don't seem to do those things very much <laughs> and so like <laughs> what about like the implementation details and so when I was maybe like 10 years old I can remember going to a robotics camp for girls and who knows what impact that had on my mindset of just being like of course girls can do these things. Um, whereas you hear stories of, you know, people, I don't know, I heard an anecdote of like a, a girl, a small child, I remember maybe like five, saying like, oh, women can't work at Bunnings, for example. Like women can't work at hardware stores and they draw these conclusions, not because that's a rule, but because they see women are not working at a hardware store, this sort of thing. Like you just like internalise these ideas of what you can or can't do or should or shouldn't do and that can really turn you away from things but when you also like there's also so we're just picking these things up from our environment which means we have the opposite like we can do we can use that to our advantage and like okay well what about if we just send out these subtle signals from the environment that you can do these things like it is a very normal thing for women for girls to be do doing robotics because look there's however many other girls at this robotics camp enjoying the same things as you like that's the, the power of this like subconscious positive reinforcement that's why like i mean half of the regional winners of young engineer of the year were women and that is like it's no surprise to me because like i know that women in this field are like doing amazing work but it would be a surprise for some people who are younger and and think like like that girl at Bunnings it's like oh I don't see anyone doing these roles so it just mustn't be possible and and you you put these sorts of I don't know counter stereotypes uh just role models out there and it's like oh that that logical reasoning was incorrect anyone can do these things 
that encouragement and self-belief that was instilled in you in your skills growing up do you think that is why you're passionate about speaking to kids as well yeah yeah that's why that's why I was like upset before it was because, like like on the verge of being upset is because it's actually it's when you I mean that's a privilege that I had that I was in a family that already cared about these things and I try to be like not a replacement but some sort of um I don't know proxy for that for as many people who don't have that at home or, or at school um like in society you're receiving the exact opposite message a lot of the time that you can't or shouldn't like girls stop being interested in maths at the age that they start realize like picking up signals from society that's like oh this is not cool you know there's a trade-off here do I want to be like do I want to be liked or do I want to do the things that I enjoy it's such a big thing honestly like when we were doing research they were saying girls up until the age of five they believe they can become scientists mathematicians whatever they want but but by the time they're six, that completely drops off because they don't say A, any representation, and B, society gives them signals they're not meant for it. And they're not explicit. Nobody, like, find me a person yeah. that says, who thinks these days, like, girls can't do whatever it is that they want. But we're talking about, like, very subtle signaling to fit in, to, like, survive in society, to be accepted. I should be like the women on TV. And... They seem to have like mutually exclusive values of like you're either interested in this or you're smart. Like you, um, the- smart is like uncool, exactly, unpopular, exactly. unwanted, yeah. you know. And there's no, there's no one that is just like this normal, per- like I think I'm a pretty normal person. And according to, media i shouldn't exist because you can't be both you can't wear a dress and like be intelligent you can't have social skills and intellectual abilities and it's like what have you met any of my friends this is like all of the women that i know and so like when i was i remember doing um like a a try engineering workshop at a school and the the cool girl in the class um when I got close to her she nearly like screamed that in in shock of like you have a nose ring like she was just wildly amazed that an engineer could have a nose ring and it's like I can't blame her for it because what does what does she get exposed to except I don't know, I really feel like there's this message of like, it's one or the other, choose wisely. And the most important thing at school is to fit in, I I think. And so the message that I try to give the school students um, is like, (laughs) it's okay to be smart. It's okay to want to learn. Like it's actually a good long-term strategy to to do the thing, especially like if you're good at technology, interested and have strengths and like this is where it's like okay if nobody has encouraged you you might have like 
potential that you don't even realize yourself because no, no, I'll stay away from these. So that's anyway, that's a different subject. But, but if somebody already knows that that's something that they're interested in and they're consciously choosing, I would like that, but I don't want to be uh, like, I don't want to go against social norms. I just want them to understand that there are financial implications of that because these careers pay really, really well. So if you're good at them, you can make life easier in the sense that like I just show them that I have traveled to nearly 50 countries and that I like live all over the world. And I do this almost like because I'm an engineer, because I work in technology, there are definitely other ways to do it, but this is the one that it ticks all the boxes for me. Uh, it's not a trade-off that I make of like, uh, I, I really like this, but I need to make money, so I'll do this. It's like, no, I do, you can do both. And then you can help people at the same time. That's the other place that like people will, I don't know, opt out. It's like, I'm really interested in technology, but I want to help people. But if we go to the trade-off that you were saying that the young kids are afraid of, um, as in socially, will they suffer if they choose to follow these passions in, say, science, maths, whatever um did, in your experience did you experience such a trade-off as in do you think you suffered socially at all oh i feel like so when i was in so before i was in year eight in that story i had spent three years living in the u.s um and i remember looking back at that time being so i don't know grateful i guess that the cool kids were the smart kids. And I don't think that's a common thing. And if I were in a different school where it was like, choose one or the other, um, I might've felt very differently, but I was so happy in my friend group of smart, cool <laughs> girls and boys that there was no trade-off to be made. And, and that like, I don't know, I can only like, empathize with people who don't have that or maybe you know maybe it's it might not be as clear-cut as that because thinking about it in that school as well as like the the one where I did my high school there are other groups of people who have different interests it just is like maybe it's the reality in every school that like the cool kids are not that bad <laughs> like <laughs> Uh, sorry, the smart kids. The smart kids are not that bad. It's like, actually, the smart kids are pretty, like, that's a group that I want to be in. And maybe in someone else's mind, there was this mega trade-off happening of like, oh, social suicide or whatever. For me, that was like, no, that's, these are my people. Would you say you relate to that, Laura? I think I think I can sense that since you have always been encouraged to be yourself, because you have always been in an environment where you were accepted just to be like you, you were comfortable being yourself and your parents were always like, yeah, that's the way to go. At least your dad, as you were saying, I think you were so okay with being that, that you were like, okay, mm. maybe I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but from what mm. I'm hearing, because it seems mm. like, um, as, as you said, like your support network in such a young age when you are, sort of like discovering who you are, what you like and getting influenced by society 
having a support network that sort of like tells you, no, you can do whatever you want. It's, it's key. So maybe that was probably the reason. It's definitely a positive feedback cycle of like, I remember I met uh, an engineer. We were, I don't think this is relevant to the story, but it's it's um, in my memory that like we met volunteering in Nicaragua repairing medical equipment. That's where I learned the Spanish song. And, um, and she was, so we had come from very different backgrounds and different universities. Uh, and she was really amazed by me that I was confident enough to ask questions in the sessions that we because I like I was like I said I didn't study medical engineering I was there to repair medical equipment in hospitals um, that sort of just sits broken in cupboards it was fantastic fun for me like just to pull things apart and like um, but I needed to learn what the devices actually were to start off with. Like I'd never seen any of the equipment before um, owing to not ever doing medical things before. And I think she was like really struck by how confident I was in asking questions and being, um, you know, that that's a, that's a brave thing to do. That's a risk to take to be like, Hey, I don't understand this. And that's a very brave thing to do. And that's when I first realized that, I have that courage because I've already sort of cemented in my mind the the confidence and they if you're so that's like a positive cycle for me because I can learn more and more and more because I can ask more and more questions but it can work in the opposite direction if you start at a different point that it's like I'm afraid to ask questions because I'm afraid for people to think that I'm not smart because I, I don't feel myself confident. Um, and so you just move further and further away from learning things as opposed to having the like confidence to lean into them. And that's where like, I think that that, yeah, it, uh, I see that path. That's we, we try to with, with workshops in schools that specifically are like technology workshops for women or for girls at that age it's it's to try to stop that cycle from happening because in order to build confidence in technology you need to be brave <laughs> like when these are intimidating things that you're not going to be good at to start with because it's new in society like you this is your first day learning to code but in your head you're supposed to already be like a top programmer well you're gonna feel like in that negative feedback loop of um oh I don't want to ask a question because I already I'm supposed to know what I'm doing and I don't and so that sort of thing and and there's um an anecdote from the woman who started girls who code organization uh, that she noticed that the girls that she would try to help had just like a blank um, text file there of like I don't know what to do can you help me and and that all of the workshop facilitators have realized if you do like control z you'd find this full um like 
attempt that was 90% correct, but rather than be like, this is what I've done, like help me with the last step, the girls would just delete it all and be like, I don't know. Um, so that like, ah, it's, that's the, that's the cycle that is important for us to break in like, in switching the path from people shying on and shying away from technology careers that they could be very well suited for and like moving the, the train railroad track like back over to this other path of like yes you can do it you can do it you're not supposed to know anything uh feel free to ask questions like that sort of thing it's um it's very hard to impart on people who have already convinced themselves that they don't belong in a space yeah 100 percent. and that's why it's so dangerous that we have teachers or people that are part of our elderly development as human beings to to sort of like put us in the box that we can't or we shouldn't or not good enough for it um because it can actually detriment and and as you were saying like it's confirmation bias at the end of the day and if you fall into that loop of not like not feeling that you should and then things don't go as you would expect them to go then you're sort of like changing the direction from from the end objective but yeah, and you're safe. It was like, oh, phew. I, I dodged, I dodged, um, I dodged the criticism because I, I never put myself out there. And so, in, you get rewarded for that in your mind of like, like, because I, well, I've cut you off. So, <laughs> you, <laughs> there's a chance I'll change the subject now. So, I want to hear what you were about to say. No, I was just, um, um, I, I'm just curious because in everything that we have spoken confidence seems to be like your best trait mm. oh, one of the many <laughs> but I was just gonna say as a woman did you ever feel like imposter syndrome especially after all these awards that you have received or when you started sort of like getting involved in like uh, public speaking or talking to younger younger audiences about it did you ever feel like you weren't supposed to be there mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe why, part of why I like talking to younger audiences is because, like, you don't have imposter syndrome because it's, like, there's no there, there's no grey area there of, like, to them, you're very successful because you're an adult. Uh, but, but I think there's uh, maybe other people have realised this as well, but what I have noticed is really important for people on the job who don't just, like, instinctively have confidence, and maybe it's no one that just instinctively has confidence but you know some people are more susceptible to it than others um there's the the big thing is like what um, what are the standards that you're using to evaluate yourself because I had an experience where I intentionally joined an like elite software engineering team as an intern and I didn't have any software like training pretty much. And so like, you're going to have a hard time. It was very difficult, like emotionally, but, um, but the reason why you have a hard time is if you're looking at people with 10 more years experience of you, than you, and you say, that's where I should be. Well, you, you just, you are going to fail by that sort of, standard and so what can be really helpful in confidence at work is to 
just like recalibrate actually what is the standard that does apply to you because senior engineers can tell interns or grads as much as they want like you're not expected to know anything but they still internally will feel that they don't know as they'll recognize they don't know as much as the people around them and so they're like failures or there's been some sort of mix-up and as much as we can make it explicit the better that it's like hello you're an intern here's your job description know nothing like really like these are the things and this is what and what can help is like not just that but to make it like sink in someone's mind is like you're the intern this is your expectation when you're a graduate this will be your expectation you can see it's it's a little bit more and then when you're this level of engineer it will be this expectation and just like really like talk to someone subconscious like convince them that there's this level of expectations that increases of like um, what they're expected to to know and to to be able to do well versus just like flap around <laughs> surviving you know you've been pushed into this like deep end and okay you can you should be able to tread water here whereas here you should be like an Olympic swimmer um, I find that that helps me at least to feel like okay. I am not as good as the other engineers that I'm working with, but that's because they have more experience than me. And if I use this standard for the level that I am paid at, <laughs> I'm doing okay. It's amazing because it shows the um, abundance sort of like mindset, like you focus on what you have and because um, it's I, I, when, when you talked about that, especially today, I feel like it's such a like, Fresh of what is it? Fresh bread of fresh air <laughs> to hear something oh, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Because I was thinking about like I had a, a like a busy day and probably I'm gonna cut this from the podcast by the way. <laughs> I was like <laughs> venting. I was like, ah, stressful. But we have to give ourselves more credit for where we are. And when we're surrounded by so many people that are probably at the three hundred and something dead of the professional life. It's so much harder for us to judge ourselves based on that instead of just accepting that we are in probably day 100 or like day 20. Mm. And there's such a like long journey mm. that we still have to go through. And also that perhaps in like we have done a lot of things as well that we should own. Mm. And when you vibe with that energy, knowing like, yeah, I have done my part, I think it's there's more compassion for yourself and confidence keeps mm-hmm. sort of like brewing inside mm-hmm. of you so so good that's it is it like it well confidence is a relative thing that's it is like you compare yourself to other people and if you compare yourself to the wrong person you'll end up with like an unfair evaluation of yourself and I realized that I was doing that in this like software job that I had in Silicon Valley not through work, but actually through one of my first sports hobbies, which was rock climbing. And first sports hobby came into my life at like, I don't know, in my 20s, because I, you mentioned before that I have confidence as like a skill. I, it's, it's more specific than that. I have like academic confidence in like technical fields. That's where I have confidence 
the rest of life, like, I don't know, all bets are off. Like, give me a soccer, as a child, like if you would kick me a soccer ball and then I couldn't kick it back, I'd be like, well, I guess I'll just never play soccer. Like I, I will, my solution to that was to just never do sports ever again, because obviously I'm not meant to do it. And some people take that approach for like STEM fields. And I took that approach for the rest of my life that I wasn't just automatically good at. And so then I was, I got into bouldering, which is like a, a an individual um, sport. And I remember being so embarrassed, not being able to do the entry level um, climbs. And I kept showing up because I was like, I think this is a skill that I was meant to have learned in childhood um, to just not care that I'm bad at things. And I kind of dodged that intentionally. Um, So here I am, I'm not even level zero and I'm just going to keep trying, even though everyone is watching me, unable to do the thing that I'm able to do. So that was like a huge mental uh, achievement because um, I don't have confidence in like that physical, didn't have confidence in that physical domain. And then years afterwards, so I kept doing this like solo bouldering while I was um, working at this software job in Silicon Valley. And I realized after a while I had gotten to the level of the people that I used to watch climbing and be like wow I'll I'll never get wow look at them they can climb like it was a number system like they can climb fours oh my gosh and eventually I got to fours and you don't realize that you're at a four because you know you're still struggling you're struggling like you struggled when it was a zero because that's what growth looks like you're always looking for you're going into this like struggle um, <laughs> void, I guess. Um, and and so you can only realize that you've progressed when you look back and remember how you used to be in awe of those people existing. And when I realized that all I had to do to get there was like show up every day, I was like, oh, my colleagues have just been showing up <laughs> more days than me. They're like, oh, like they are, yeah, they're level eight and I'm level four or whatever, but but they're all older than me. <laughs> like, I mean, I haven't been doing it for as long. And if I could progress in climbing, just like showing up every day, then probably I could do the same in, you know, writing software and, um, well, that's what I kind of stuck to. And now um, I, I actually, I still catch up with the guys that were on my team. We were writing software called uh, the robot operating system that's used by um, roboticists worldwide and on the International Space Station. I think NASA will use it for their next um, lunar rover mission as well as like, I don't know, Antarctic penguin surveying robot so it's used everywhere but I digress that's just in case someone was wondering like what software are we talking about did I miss it no I didn't mention um and I was chatting to one of those mentors the other day and I was like oh I think I'm you guys now like (laughs) I'm that expert and uh you know I won't say it was just time in the in the meantime that like it wasn't just time passing but it was showing up every day with um 
yeah, it makes a big difference. <laughs> ah, so many questions, but um, I want to know about your experience in Silicon Valley because you mentioned it a couple of times now in our conversation. And I want to know mm. what what did you expect when you went there and how was it? Like expectation versus reality mm. sort of thing? Yep. Yeah, so there are a few things I can answer that, but I'm just aware that answering that will also be answering like a question of like, what was it like to work at a company of all robotics and what was it like to live in the US? Like there are some like overlap. In, in statistics, you say like confounding variables that it's like, it's hard to tease them apart. But my experience... um was that I didn't want to move there originally. <laughs> and that's why I kind of I was doing an internship um, intentionally because it was just going to be short term. And then I ended up staying for nearly three years. And I stayed there because I was enjoying it. I was really enjoying the work that I was doing and the team that I was on. And I remember at the beginning, I felt like I was in a company that... Um, was kind of an exception to all of the other engineering companies because we had, uh, well, there were two women on the robotics team as opposed to just me being the only one. Um, so it, no, it was a small team. It was, in, in the end, I speak about like the proportion of women because the truth is that I noticed that I make friends with women more easily in offices in terms of like friend friendship right so I made friends with other women at the company um who even weren't engineers and when eventually they left to go into other roles because they'd just been there longer than me I was like oh now it's me uh, I'm another woman as the only engineers in the company out of 20 people I guess and it didn't wear on me necessarily that I was the only woman in my team, but I noticed that I had a different personality to the people in my team. And I think that, like, sometimes when I talk about being around more women, like, I just, I enjoy being around more women. And part of the reason is because I enjoy being around people with similar personalities to me. Um so there's a, I don't know, a lot of people will challenge me on, like, I'm not trying to be controversial to say that I enjoy working with people who have had, like, it comes down as well to have, having had similar life experiences. Like, I love I almost feel bad for the guys that they don't get this experience to go to a women in engineering or women technology event is the best energy that, or like a very specific energy of women supporting each other through like shared experiences that include sometimes adversity. And it's a really nice feeling of like, Hey, we can all do it. And you go home and you've got this like newfound, I don't know, motivation and there were a lot of those events in Silicon Valley a lots of like every event was on in Silicon Valley that's what I loved about it is that every night there were like 
three or four different technical events that I could choose from. When you have everyone like gathering in one spot like that, um, yeah, that's cool to just like anything you can dream of, it's it's happening there. Um, but eventually that that became kind of tiring for me because most of the people that I interacted with were software engineers and um, love them to bits, but it was like, I want more just variety in who I interact with, which, um, you know, the good, that's like the, 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 the strength and the weakness, I guess, of um, being in a place that is known for being like the tech hotspot. I'm glad that I went and I, um, I mention it sometimes like, you said, oh, you've mentioned it a few times. I mention it because it seems to be the easiest way for me to like convince or like sometimes we have these like shortcuts that we discover of when you're talking to people, okay, if I use these words, that's when people's eyes light up. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not like, so for, for, for young people, for example, um, who don't know anything about what I do, and they've never written a line of code, I can still say Silicon Valley and they'll be like, wow, really? <laughs> like, um, although at, at a certain age, they're just like, what's that? Uh, which is fair enough. And, and so I use it sometimes as like a, as a shortcut for saying like, look how successful I was, even though, you know, it's, um, it's definitely a well, shortcut. I'm glad that I expect, made you expand on that because I definitely wasn't <laughs> expecting that, but nice. And I knew kind of I have needed to develop these strategies like you don't need to, but we want to talk about our jobs in a way that makes people's eyes light up. And <laughs> I have just noticed that like there are some groups like roboticists that I work with when I tell them what I was doing there, they're like, Wow, really? You were on that team? Like that's great. But most people that I talk to, they're like, I don't. That I'm sure that was really great, but I don't understand. And that's how it felt like all of my university experience, I would come home and try to be like, look at this cool thing that I'm doing. And your parents are just like, I'm sure it's really great, sweetie. <laughs> and that's why I like working on um, technology that helps people because that's, I can tell people about my job and they care about it. Like they, they go like, it sounds like a superficial thing, but we want to feel like we're having an impact. And part of how we feel like we're having an impact is the response that people give um, when we tell them about our lives. And it's nice when people say, wow, a medical device, that's cool. But for me, like, you know, day to day, I'm really happy doing the the robot the robotics for for any sort of device, but um, I can't convince I can't like convey my excitement to people who don't share the same excitement that I have by just saying look at this code that I wrote. They'll never be like that's amazing. I have um, you know that's one of the, the the techniques that I employ is finding these things that you can say that people will appreciate the work that engineers do because people can't just naturally grasp onto it because no one knows what engineers do and we're not good at explaining what we do and even when we do no one people don't share the same interests as us necessarily like 
that's fine. And I feel this way when people talk about like civil engineering sometimes. It's like, I'm happy for you, but um, that's not my job. <laughs> whereas whereas lot of... <laughs> that's pretty much what I get told. <laughs> Well, and, and I remember actually, Laura, when you told me, like, I saw the drainage challenges in my home in Colombia, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And, and you said, I wanted to be a part of that solution. And I knew that civil engineering was a way that I could get into that. Like, well, then I got it. You know, you have to find these, these like strategies to convince, to convey. And also convince yourself. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You convey to people why you enjoy what you do. And, like, you don't have to, for sure. But I find it important in, like, job satisfaction that I can. Because it's about finding your purpose, right? Um, On this train of thought, do your career choices ever get influenced by how that would look to a younger child? Like, will their eyes light up and think this is so interesting? Yeah. Yeah, and wow. I mean, it's aligned with, um, it is aligned with, it's not, it sounds like a, it's aligned with what I want as well. Um, so it's like, because. So it's never been that they've been at odds, right? Yeah, so it's kind of a, a, a mute, yeah, in terms of a Venn diagram of like things that I enjoy working on, things that inspire students in the middle is also where I like to be because I like to inspire students. Oh, that wasn't the best example. But anyway, the um, the choices that I make, I didn't intend, they've had an, uh, an unintended inspirational impact when I have uh, gone back to revisit some of my decisions. So specifically when I, even working in Silicon Valley, I was at a nonprofit um, open source foundation that you know is was known to not pay as well as like Google because you know who does and and so that was like that's a choice that I consciously made and then after that I came back to Australia to work on the skin printing robot at a startup and including the exchange rate to Australian dollars which is like, um, but I can do that because I'm Australian. I took like a 40% pay cut between those jobs. And I had already been working at a nonprofit. And then I decided to work three days a week because that, like I got burnt out in Silicon Valley and I wanted to have this life goal of like sustainability. Um, and so I took another 40% pay cut. And so, but, but I got my time back. So like, that's and so then I was putting this on a slideshow once for talking to students. And I was like, damn, Deanna, like, are you telling me like just running the, and even today, like I'm still not a hundred percent, but is that not like, wasn't I earning a third of what I was in the US then? And so that in terms of, uh, the way that most people direct their career is the that's just like the total opposite, right? Nobody's gonna do that. Yeah, especially if now. you're. Yeah, you see it more and more. Yeah. 
Um, so for me to tell them, I wasn't do that. I was not doing that to tell them, look, you can take, um, you can take the career less well paid. I wasn't trying to do that. Um, because that wasn't a sacrifice. Like I never, that was not a sacrifice. I would make that decision absolutely again, because to work part-time at an Australian company like near my family, that was that was the best decision for me. And the reason it ended up on my slideshow is because the point I was trying to make was like, sometimes the best decision for you looks like a very bad decision to someone else. Because in the end, what depend like what is relevant that we forget is like, well, what are you optimizing for? Are you optimizing for doing work that you enjoy and that inspires people and that like you can tell to your parents and they will feel um, <laughs> that they they under they don't know what you do, but at least they they uh, are wowed by it. Or are you optimizing sometimes? Like truly, sometimes you do optimize optimize for financial gain because like you know people. Living costs money, travel costs money, families cost money, all these things cost money. And so, and yeah, and that's where it's like, what does success look like to you? Sometimes, sometimes it's a trade off, totally. And so, when I can also tell them that, like, doing that, I still get paid well, and that that's the joy at the moment of, like, I don't know. <laughs> at least the discipline of engineering that I'm in, it's like the point I'm trying to make, if they want it, it's there that like if you enjoy this career and you stop yourself from going into it because you don't think it's cool enough or something or you don't think it's impactful, like, you know, just be careful of that because... I'm very happy. I don't feel like I make compromises in my life. I've got this, like, all the boxes are being ticked. Um, and I don't want to make, I'm not trying to make everyone engineer them, but for people who would enjoy it, I'm trying to give them motivation that can help overcome the adversity that they'll get put up against. Like, the the title of the podcast of, like, you don't look like an engineer. I hear that all the time. And it, you can, there was a time that I was, when I was in university and I would say, yeah, I'm an engineer. People would be like, wow. And I really enjoyed that feeling for a time. And then there are other times where you're like, yeah, wow. Uh, that's, I've never heard, like, it's not nice that people are surprised that by your identity, like that doesn't always feel nice because people are saying like, you're an anomaly, like you're so weird. <laughs> and I never set out to be a trailblazer. I just like accidentally chose something that was like uncommon. But um, what was the point I was making? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about, um, about wow. Tell <laughs> <laughs> It was going to be really impactful too. I felt like there was some momentum gathering there. Oh yeah, the, the trade-offs, I guess. Um, so, oh yeah, yeah. If you are, so I think the point that I was trying to make about like, look, I've got all of these boxes ticked for me. Well, if the reason 
you're not going to be an engineer is because you don't like it, I'm very happy for you. But if the reason you're considering not being an engineer is because somebody told you, oh, check the stats on that, like, girls don't go into that. I don't know. I don't think anyone would ever say that. But if it was, like, just a sense that you got that, like, I'm not supposed to be doing that in society. But they do say that. I mean, you do hear those conversations, especially um, with the rise of people such as Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson, where um, they say women are more suited for nurturing and they should be in those roles and they don't belong in the thinking and doing groups. And unfortunately, that sort of conversation is on the rise. But that conversation is sh- like makes the assumption that these things are mutually exclusive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's why your message is so important, you know? Because if you let those people take you away from this like box ticking dream, just I just want people to be conscious of what they're like giving up. Because if you see it as like, oh, it's an easier path for me to stay away from, um, like definitely there is a dimension of my life that would be easier if I took a more like traditional path for women to take. But the part of my life that would be harder is that I wouldn't get to write, like, I wouldn't get to work with robots every day. Like, that's the part that you have to live with every day is that, like, the, 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 if I get into a role that is, I don't know, like, managing people, for example, I don't feel as good. Like, I like to be working with technology. I don't want to make that. That would be, that's the, the area for trade-off that is, like, um that's what it could look like it's like oh okay I'll do this other thing because I I don't like it as much but it you know ticks whatever other boxes and I'm really lucky that I didn't have to make these trade-offs because at least how society is at the moment there'll never be enough engineers um for all the great ideas that we've got technology we're trying to build you know how you said that certain aspects of your life probably would have been easier if you didn't choose to embark on this journey or do it specifically this way? Do you think that the travel and the, the style of working that you chose has impacted your personal life? Um, I, I think I'm having a hard time answering the question that you asked because I'm my mind is like tied up with what I originally meant by that. So I'm going to answer what I originally okay, meant okay. to clear my Definitely. mind. <laughs> so the thing about, so, and I was just speaking about like um, the, the effort that it, it, it takes me effort to be the odd one out. Um, it, it like, it drains me to be the odd one out in terms of personality, also in terms of like, gendered experiences in life and that's partly because you need to before you can talk to people about that you first have to convince them that you've had that sort of experience whereas like when I hang out with women they just say like oh yeah me too and like that part is (laughs) you skip over that um and I had mentioned uh before we started recording that like when I was in Silicon Valley I had I was surrounded by um news stories of women having a hard time in technology and that what people what can be very hard to explain to people is that for right or wrong the the reality of your present situation 
not being like being good okay like in my team I was very happy with the guys that I worked with that's not enough for you to 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 like put out of mind okay but these things have happened to other people they could be coming for me like even if it's not happening in that moment in that moment you're safe you're fine you're happy you're loving life but you're always on the lookout you know like okay when is when is it gonna like where which of these meetings is gonna be or like I don't know like after work drinks could turn into me being this news story. It's like that, you know, people, people certainly have intellectual opinions about whether or not I should feel this way, whether or not I should waste energy um, on these things. But in the meantime, the reality is that I do. And the, I find it sort of exhausting. I remember when I was at university, I moved around a lot, which I guess coming back to your questions are I moved around a lot by choice, which meant that I was being always like, so at QUT where I studied, I was just known as like the redhead electrical engineering girl. And like I was known there. And so people didn't ever assume, oh, no, people did assume that I was out of, like the people would come, students would come to my class. I was teaching engineers and they would always say like, um is this an engineering maths class like am I in the right place and they're like sit down (laughs) yes this is the right place like and nobody means offense by that but I would get kind of like you're just waiting for it to happen again um so when I moved I also went to university in France Spain Scotland and Switzerland as part of my master's and in each of those places I was an unknown person and you're on kind of alert for somebody to come up to you and say like hey are you lost like like is this um did you mean to be somewhere else and there are these like subtleties in you know the buildings that I studied in they didn't have women's toilets on all of the floors for example and these things like I don't know people like I said people have people will be like what if you just like don't feel that way? There you go, problem solved. And it's like, okay, but in the meantime, I don't know how to not feel this way and it costs me energy. So that's what I meant about like um, not that I could have maybe saved, I don't remember what I said, but like that I could have saved myself some hassle if I just uh, chose something else. Um, but I found instead, okay, well, I'll do the thing that I want to do and it comes at the cost of being the odd one out. But I'll make strategy, like I've also found the strategies that work for me that I stick to it. And so in Silicon Valley, uh, I I mentioned I like explicitly sought out, I'm like, okay, I'm getting a really negative vibe about like women in technology at the moment. I'm afraid to be, I don't know. Anyway, a friend made a podcast called Motherboard Podcast and that was um, interviewing mothers in technology and they had very ordinary stories of like, yeah, so I work at this tech company and I asked and so they added a nursing room and now like my um, return to work has been very straightforward. And I was like, oh my gosh, like how do we get more of these stories like in the news because they're the ones at the time I needed to hear. 
And every I've gotten kind of attuned to that feeling that I have at times of like, you know, I think I need to be around some like good vibes. <laughs> and um and it's not every day and and not everyone has this feeling. Um and not everyone has this feeling every day. <laughs> so it's like uh they I definitely have met a woman engineer when I was the president of the women engineering society at QUT they didn't want anything to do with it and they didn't like that it existed and so like there are different approaches to these things and the the approach that I have taken is like okay I I like to sometimes I need to be around um just like uh, artificially pump the training data of like positive, positive stories. So I, I, there was a particular time when I was in Sydney and I went on Google and I was like, please, women in technology events, Sydney, like I need you. Where are you? And thankfully, since I was in Sydney, like there were lots of, there were three in the next month and I went to those and I like recharged and then I took like, because I was, um, you know, advocating for nursing. Oh, no, the nursing room in our office someone else had advocated for, which is like, what a joy. Um, but advocating for prayer rooms and different things that I'm like, okay, I need to recharge um, for more, I don't know, fight's not the right term, but it takes effort. And so recharging has to be a straight. You can avoid the effort altogether or... The option is there as well for people who don't want to make that trade-off, but they find a strategy that helps them recharge. Um, being in that room of, I was in a room of like women engineers who were older than me and there were like a hundred of them and there were, it was a gala event. They were all dressed really nicely. Our company sponsored me and some like junior engineers to go and you just feel like you're in this fairy tale for one night of what it could be like uh, a world where people don't say oh you don't look like an engineer like everyone at that event knew that we were all engineers and nobody was like are you the recruiter like that's the sort of question that I would get asked in Silicon Valley to this and nobody means offense statistically I'm not likely to be the engineer I'm likely to be the recruiter but for me it bothers me so and I didn't get to your question yet <laughs> But um, but yes, I. But yeah, so so moving around, I feel like that. To there, the 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 background mental effort that comes with like having to prove yourself and being afraid of um different. I don't know when you start a new job. Oh, it's sad when I think about it. But like when I started my job at Silicon Valley, I was like, I better not wear polka dots anymore because no one will take me seriously. Like I really was, and like I don't know who can know who can know if that was a good like a necessary thing to do. Like people will say, oh no, you don't need to do that. But you know, sometimes evidence proves otherwise. That it's like if I dress this way, I just seem to be taken um, more serious. Anyway, whereas now. So when you stay in a place for a long time, you get more comfortable. You trust You trust that people know that, like now with the guys that I work with, I can ask any sort of stupid question. They know that 
I'm a great engineer. Um, so I'm safe. I'm safe there, you know. I can wear whatever I want because I'm safe. And sometimes it takes a while. And like, I, I just, I get self-conscious because people listening who haven't had this experience would be like, this is so stupid. Like, why are people wasting energy thinking that the clothes that they wear matter? And it's like, well, I didn't just come up with these ideas out of a vacuum. Like, I, it came either from things that happened to me or things that other women, like, we warn each other about these things, you know? Um, so yeah, that's maybe the negative thing of like moving around a lot, but oh my gosh, like I just love moving around. Like I, um, I have moved to Portugal recently and I love it here because. But it hasn't stunted personal life in any way, has it? Um, I change friends a lot. But I keep in touch with the friends from the different places, which is part of why I like to work part-time is because, you know, that takes a lot of effort. Um. <laughs> Are you still working on a part-time basis? Yes. Yes. yes Ooh, pretty nice. Um, that's the goal for the rest of my life, to be honest. And um, obviously it depends on what lifestyle you need to, that's the thing. There's like, there are trade-offs. Like I lived in a seven person share house when I lived in Sydney. <laughs> and as a how old was I like I don't remember I think I was like 28 years old like it's not not, not a common life decision right and that's where like there are dimensions there are so many dimensions in life where confidence can just be like reset back to zero and so um if so that's like all of this or just the, the the dimensions are independent so to go against the grain of like what lifestyle you should live um that has taken effort for me I when I when I met my partner and I was living in this share house in order to save money um I started questioning like oh my gosh like I should get a better place I should I should at least get a double bed <laughs> like, I should be a proper adult you know and you start you st- it's it's that you can be that you're confident one day doesn't mean that you don't have your confidence shaken the next when there's this threat to your um I don't know your image so but I th- I think I've gone off topic now but I mean <laughs> I learned to show that like on the subject yeah, of traveling um do you think uh the mindset of people sort of like changes wherever you go like how they view life or um I think so I remember I had a conversation with a random guy in a park in Switzerland um and he told me that starting a startup in Switzerland was very difficult because failed previous startups was seen as a negative whereas in the US it was seen as like look at this experience that you have um and so that's I can't I can't say for sure if that's the case but I can easily imagine that that is because I feel that is uh there are things at a social level at a family level that it's like what you value especially in this trade-off between like failure versus I don't know experience um that that is that's just like a, a cult a 
a family is also a culture. A company is a culture. Like a team is a culture. All of these, they're all like mini cultures. And so it makes sense that you can have these dimensions at like a, a, a country level as well of like, what do we value here? Do we value perfectionism or do we value like people giving it a go? And I, in my life, have weighed too heavily to the like perfectionism um, side. And it was like, that's why getting into rock climbing and being bad at it was so difficult for me. Um, anyway, the, uh, and so, so these sorts of like high level social things of like, oh, here we, in Portugal, the building that I live in, um, it's an apartment block with six, no, eight apartments and it's all one big extended family and, and me and I've like got myself adopted into it, but um, it's all one extended family and then one apartment building, like people stay together. Uh, that's one of the values that is like different here to other countries. I went to India recently, just very different like relationship intergen like between different generations of the same family. Um, so I love to, part of why I have moved to Portugal is to see how they do things here and see what's a good idea for me to incorporate into my life. And I've heard that as a society, society just really values children here. They really love children. If you're at the shops and your child's not, um, or it's like being difficult to handle, like everyone kind of helps you uh, sort them out. Where And I didn't even realize that in, Australia and the US you're you're trained socially to like avert your gaze and um you know just distance yourself as opposed to to help and that or it's polite I feel like it, we 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 decided that that was a polite thing to do and that's why I like traveling in general and especially like living in a place is to see like what is the what are these different norms and which of them makes sense to me? Like in, in France, I remember going to the doctors um, and in the waiting room, like this is true in other countries as well, but people go in and they say hello to each other when they enter the waiting room. It's like generally to the room. And it's a good idea, I think, like because you're going to sit there for who knows how long. It just makes things less awkward. And I think like, I don't know, I'm reading an interesting book at the moment that like maybe these things like, okay, what you sit in an awkward silence, but your stress, you know, you're not meant to sit in awkward silences. Like I think subconsciously your body is getting like stressed being around like strangers that you don't know if you're safe or not. Anyway, that's um, a very extreme take on doctor's waiting rooms, but. On a more like philosophical level, is there any place that you traveled to and the culture had any aspects that you think is important to impart over here? <laughs> I appreciate that it's hard to condense, yeah. I haven't actually, this happens sometimes that like I... I'll have the ideas, but they'll be like scattered all around my brain. <laughs> and I've never, I've never made any attempt to like consolidate them into, well, that's the first time somebody has asked me that. And so it's like, oh, probably, but I can't tell you right now. And that's, um, that's why. That can be in part two whenever we do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this seems, this seems like a, 
a strange leap to a com- different conversation topic, but I'm helping my sister at the moment with a, a, an award application. And it reminded me of how useful it can be that um, award or scholarship uh, applications ask you these sorts of questions of like, in what way have um, you helped people or something? Like that was one of the ones of the Engineers Australia, uh, Young Engineer of the Year. One was like, how have you actually impacted societies? And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. Like you just go through life. You don't actually collate, sort of like grab these pieces from all different parts of your mind. You never bring them together um, without these like external prompts. And so um, (laughs) that's part of why reading, I don't know, doing these kinds of reflections, even if you never win an award or a scholarship to I've always found the application process to be rewarding in itself which sounds like the sort of thing that your parents are sort of like oh it's a, everyone wins the soccer game or whatever like it's, it's all about having fun but like but truly that's a fun thing to do and if you or like a, a useful thing to do um if you can get your family and friends in there helping you of like, don't forget about these really great things you've done. Like that's um, a nice, and that's what I think <laughs> I'm jumping all over the place, but, but the, um, but that's where to, so that's, I'm just going to wrap up that thing about the scholarships before I move to a different topic, but like that you, you, um, it's nice to have, people pitching in with their how they see you of uh, your friends saying like hey I think that this is actually something that's unique about you what's unique I remember my partner actually said like it's not interesting to me that you got the university medal it's interesting to me that you like could have done this with your life and you chose to do this because you're a good person or whatever and it's like oh in my head, everyone would do that, you know, but you don't realise that you, that's how you are different. So that... Um, sort of on topic of the scholarships, but not really, more about opportunities that come up. Um, how much do you think you would attribute to uh, self-marketing or putting out your personal brand? Or is it more just about your network that helps open doors? Or is it just about building your competence? What advice would you suggest? Um... <laughs> the last I'm just I'll I won't generalize I'll just say like the last two roles that I got was because I knew people so when I was volunteering in Nicaragua repairing medical equipment I met a biomedical engineer that I caught up with on a gap year after I was burnt out from Silicon Valley um just gave him a call and I hadn't spoken to him for like four years I think and he then realized that you know maybe we should maybe I would be a good teammate and we'd start this skin printing like project um together so so that was great (laughs) good timing you know um and and then when I was at that company I made friends with other another medical um robot device company that in the end is how I moved to the job that I have now which um 
I was at originally when we first when I first met the CEO of Vexev, I which is a it's an ultrasound robot that creates 3D a 3D model of people's veins that's used at the moment for um I'm new I'm new so I'm like still, still, still rusty on the but um 3D model of veins so that surgeons there are vascular surgeons and they're they're trying to monitor particular progress of a surgery that they do so that then patients can go on dialysis with kind of the gold standard approach as opposed to one that is has a higher um, mortality rate and and so with this model that gives them the information that they need uh, and long term will be able for all of us to have um, diagnostic like preventative tests of just checks on like how are our veins doing are they getting worse year over year this sort of thing and in remote areas where ultrasounds are just not feasible because it's a very specialized um technician that has to do it usually so trying so that's um kind of grasp the magnitude and the importance of the work that you're doing it's insane it's not like um but whereas like day to day, I'm just thrilled by like the technical work that I do. That's why it's so cool that there's no trade-off. Like how can there be no trade-off? There should be a trade-off. And it's, um, I mean, it is there if you look at it. That's the thing is like for someone else doing my role, there would be a trade-off. Like, oh, but, you know, if I went to Silicon Valley, I could do this, that, the other thing. And it's, that's a trade-off for them. For me, it's not a trade-off because I'm just like, oh, no, that doesn't matter to me. I'm like, I'm happy with this. I get to live in Portugal. Like, I'm loving life. Um, so I met, yeah, and and I originally met Eamon, just started chatting to him at a startup event um, when we were touring some other uh, startup in Sydney's, like, offices. So definitely meeting people is useful (laughs) um but you never know when it's going to be useful and so like and and then my job so that's a combination but then also like out of the blue confidence like when I got the role in Silicon Valley I just said hello I have a master's in robotics and computer vision I have used your software could I please help write the software <laughs> and, and I mean it was a more it was a more targeted uh cover letter than that but it was like you don't know me but I know you please can I come <laughs> and if you do that at the right time that's the thing like these cold kind of emails can be very useful in startups that don't have time to to put out job ads or whatever uh and I said like I'd be really happy to just fix bugs in the software. I find that really interesting, uh, which is true. And, and they were like, oh, we would love someone to come and fix bugs. So if if you if you find a, a time where, and that was the same thing, like when I was talking to my friend Zach, who I met in Nicaragua, he was like, oh, we need a roboticist. Like maybe that could work. Um, so it does depend what stage of the career you're at as well. Well, in that case, I had a master's and I offered, uh, like, I asked for an internship and just like, I mean, PhD students also do internships, so it's not like a huge step backwards, but sometimes it's like, you can, I don't know, trade-offs. Mm, yeah. 
Diana, it's been so nice to talk to you and to learn more about you and especially about the things that you have been involved. And the impact of the work that yes. you do. Yes, it's crazy. Literally. <laughs> oh, we just scratched the surface, I feel like. I, I know. And going all over the place. I would love to do another session. Dizzying for well, maybe that's it. Maybe somewhere. I think I think I'm really um it's just like especially your outlook in life is really inspiring. And I think all the experiences that you have been your energy, yeah, it's, it's so super, amazing. And like the way you perceive the career and how comfortable you are with not having it all at the same time. Like, you know, it's like it's okay. There's such a security in your mindset and your ideas around this industry that um, even though it's not, you know, where it should be at this point in time, we have these solutions and this is how we can fix it from this perspective. Thank you. It, uh, I, d I doubt it was always like that. Some of these things are like born out of necessity, but it's, an, I mean, it, it's, it comes from a motivation of like, I like what I'm doing. I want to stay in it. So what are the things that I need to change in my life to actually make this career sustainable? Um, and if I found something that works for me, like, can this, can this help other people and if you know people are welcome to write to me with more specific um questions or anything about what's going on in their life but um i would be happy to hear from people because you know i'm kind of i'm i'm here for the, for the good of the, the listeners as strange as it sounds like I know it sounds a very arrogant thing, but it is nice when people... Um... But it also sounds genuine because the work that you do literally reflects that. Like your effort and your outreach are literally a representation of that this is what you live and breathe for. So I do help with it. I hope that it helps someone. It um... definitely will. We It definitely will. We have like um a little fun section of the podcast where we ask different type of questions. Um, So... The first question um, is, what do you do in your spare time? Do you have any? Ah, no, I have his spare time. That's my goal. So I actually started a thing called No Tech Tuesdays. I don't work on Tuesdays. Um, and I went to a yoga retreat when I was in India recently, and it was just full of, you know, those vibes that come at the end of a long holiday and you're like, I have no stress. I have no responsibilities. <laughs> like, um, how, I, well, actually it wasn't that, but it was more like I, I was reading books. I don't normally read books in paper. I'm normally listening to audio books and I'm doing it while I'm chopping vegetables or whatever. And I'm like hyper-efficient. Whereas when you go camping, you're forced to do these, like, I don't know, special things because you don't have internet. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, how can I bring that into my ordinary life and not just say that? And it is, admittedly, it's harder when you do have responsibilities back in life. But um, on Tuesdays, I'll just, like, take my ukulele to the park. I really like to sing. Um, and I like when it makes people smile um, when they see me uh, with a ukulele. It's a nice instrument for that. And read books. I really like uh, books as like that's kind of where I get my mentorship oh yeah that's my ukulele yeah. say. <laughs> that's kind of where I get my mentorship is from um from books and then from brunch with friends so that's what I do in my free time I think nice next one have you had any favorite experience while traveling oh my gosh where did that oh where did that <laughs> um 
Well, recently when I went to India, I was just blown away at how it felt like a parallel universe with in terms of the traffic because the traffic, like, it could be a four-lane highway, for example, but the lanes aren't really used. You just sort of <laughs> no. go wherever you fit. And it it's seems like... It's like a weird chaotic system that somehow... Yeah, is. but it worked and there was no traffic and it was like... It was incredible. And just to see that it was like... Did it freak you out? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> yes. absolutely, I'm not qualified to drive that style. And that's why it was like... I had to really suppress my urge to be like, this is wrong. It should be like what I'm used to. But it's like, it's not wrong. It's working fine. Like, how amazing. <laughs> so that was, for me, like the epitome of seeing like such a different version of normal. And yeah, okay. just having it, having this concept of like there is one normal questioned um, again and again. That's why I like traveling. Because um, wow. it's a dangerous assumption. Yeah. It is. Agreed. Um, what chapter of your life do you think you're in, Yana? Um, <laughs> I like this question. I like this question. <laughs> um, I can't, I, I'll tell you, like, I didn't... Okay, I'll just answer. What I tell my friends, and this is where I'm like, oh, maybe that's boring because that's like, I've already... I don't. I hope I'm not just saying an answer that I've already thought of because I haven't actually been asked that question before but I was saying to a friend on the phone the other day that actually what I'm trying to do at the moment is to really kind of get my fix of technical work before I have children um, and so I'm almost trying to I often will take like go a year and a half between jobs not um not working I'll still write code for my own projects but um just like taking a break and I have sort of looked ahead a bit and I'm like okay well I can't do that now if you know soon I want to have children because then I will I would like to take a, a break during that time as well away from like you know writing code professionally and so looking ahead I've then like worked backwards from that of like, okay, now's the time that then I would like to sort of really work really hard professionally so that then I like am so relieved to take a break when I go on maternity leave because <laughs> I um, cause, cause I'm still coming around to the idea of like, oh, but are you sure it's not going to be boring, like not working? <laughs> People are sure with it. Uh, there's plenty of other things that um, – you know, and I get ad advice from other women. You know, when I go to women in engineering events, like that time that I was looking at one in Sydney, I just asked people, like, "What did you do on maternity leave? Wasn't it boring?" Like <laughs> these things, and just just yeah. trying to. I don't. I don't. I don't know. But it's a different chapter of life. Pre mat leave chapter of like. <laughs> what's the name of that chapter? That's the um. That's the bucket list. Pre kids bucket list chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you'd take an extended break from work when you're on mat leave, like a couple of years? I feel like you just have to suss it out. Play it by the ear. Yeah, yeah I, I, all I know at the moment is that I don't know and that makes me think 
you can't have the information to know until you're there which is i'm a planner i'm a big planner i really don't like this like see how it goes thing (laughs) i want to have everything planned out and so here i can just plan for possible scenarios and then use the feedback that i get just from life on the go and uh implement one of the strategies i guess but maybe it'll just be an entirely different one that i haven't thought of yet <laughs> definitely which should be oh, really man. inspiring <laughs> honestly, like, as a planner. everything you do yeah, is so everything. inspiring thank you so much for your when time when you said like oh i haven't been working hard i was like what do you mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> please explain <laughs> i've met Definitely I've had people tell me like, oh, gee, I wish I had that problem. But I like my job so much that it's hard for me to stop working. Like I get burned out because I'm like, I want to solve this bug like every day. And then I just <laughs> end up I, working part time has been really wonderful for me because it has given me the discipline to not let work become the entirety of my life. Because if mm. I work four days and get paid for three it's a bad mathematical, like financial decision. <laughs> and so now I use that as the motivation to not work long hours. Whereas before it was just like, do whatever you want, Deanna, if you're having fun. And no, it's not sustainable, that approach I, for myself. So now I enforce sustainability with this like part-time strategy. <laughs> also, I just have other things that I like doing. Like you can't get everything that you want, like, you know, people when they're young, they're like, oh, I like this and that and that. How am I going to choose? It's like, well, the, you know, what if you don't have to choose? So um, I like outreach, but that's not usually part of my job. I like maths, but that's historically not part of my job. So I'll like, I'll teach engineering maths at university on my day off or um, do outreach on my days off. These sorts of things are possible because, you know, you can because you work time, then you can be happier as a person. Rest is also a good thing. Um, so, yeah, it works for me. Yeah, true enough, fair enough. Sorry. Um, I think the last question that we have for today is, what is that lesson that, lives keep, that life keeps teaching you? The lesson that life keeps teaching me. I know. Making her think. (laughs) Um, I'll just say what's at like the surface. Um, So we were, so there was like a technical glitch there and we had a bit of like dead gap um, while we were waiting for Sohan's computer to (laughs) reboot. And, And Laura and I, Laura was like thanking me for my time and I Said that actually it's easy because this is the the most impactful hour that I can have like that would always like get me off the couch to get go and speak at schools is like it always feels like the most impactful hour of my day is like working directly with people and inspiring them and I feel like Lesson, the way the question's phrased is like, oh, it should be like a hard lesson learned and there's some like tears and whatever in it. But I just feel like the the subtle like flowery lesson that I'm learning from life is that 
what kind of I don't know I'm in it for like impacting people and to there's not just one way to do that um and I'm learning that it is sometimes more rewarding the more like tangible it can the more tangible the impact is um I don't know so that's maybe the lesson that's helped me philosophize it's um it's a yeah it's that that people have said that to me before of like on your deathbed you think about relationships and that sort of thing and I don't feel like I'm like learning this lesson again and again and again but I'm reminded of this ongoing lesson that you need to remind yourself of when you're trying to juggle lots of things of like relationships are important it's like people are important and the way to carve out time to keep in contact with friends and family and to mentor people um that is more rewarding in a it's it's a it's rewarding in a dimension that writing code um is not and I need both of these things in my life and so balance while it's a very hard thing it is it's um yeah that's the uh the important that's the goal of my life I love the paradox of this message and if I could just reinstate it (laughs) is that it's someone who writes code for a living and understands also the importance of human aspect because more and more we're living in a day and age where we're becoming disconnected so it is such a good well, message. Well, I, as I was saying, I'm like, oh, but people are going to hear, you know, some people say, oh, I didn't do this because I didn't do, I didn't become an engineer because I like working with people or whatever. And it's like, no, I work with people, but, and I love the engineers that I work with as well, but it, people like feeling the impact that they have. And and so when you work on a medical device, for example, that's years away from FDA trials, the impact is hypothetical. And it can be nice then to have some like concrete impact today. And sometimes that, honestly, I feel like the smaller scale you go, the more likely you are to have that feeling of like concrete impact. Like if you talk to, I have time now that I'll sit in parks and like I helped an old lady unlock her phone one day. Like, the smaller scale you go and the more local to your house, the more like real tangible impact you can have on people. So if you start, I don't know, a little like mentoring club that is five people, but it's like a hundred percent tangible impact, like don't underestimate these tiny acts of impact because they, they, they live in a different part of your I don't know, appreciation um, because of how real they are, not hypothetical. Thank you so much. Muchísimas gracias por venir hoy. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it's lovely seeing you. So happy. You look and I hope I get this word right. Irradiate. Irradias. Felicidad. Ah, yeah. Irradiate. Happiness. So it's so good. Um, Thank you for oh, yeah. the incredible work you do for women in STEM careers. Yeah. 
for inspiring us and for also improving people's lives. And we will actively stay tuned to see what you're up to yeah. next. Yeah. Hey, right back at you. This is like, what a team. Yes. Like, we can only inspire each other through like media like yours. So um, thank you for the work that you do. <laughs>